We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are not too happy tonight. How are you feeling? No, it's the weekend, and uh, it starts off with a Brooklyn Nets loss. Uh, it could be better. <laughs> yeah, they definitely did not give me a good birthday. They lost the day before my birthday, the day after my birthday. Not too happy about it. Usually in the past, they do well, but tonight and Washington, both terrible performances. Lost tonight, 123-112. You know, we talked about it just a couple seconds ago. That second quarter was terrible. It was terrible with the capital Charles Barkley T. Um, <laughs> it was so bad. We could not hit a bucket. We could not stop a bucket. It's like we were versus the Gold State Warriors and we were the Phoenix Suns. It was it was putrid. And there was a, a nice little run when Coach Kenny and sort of guys like Rondé and Rodion's uh, Spence was sort of heading the, that sort of unit. And there was a, a slither of hope heading into the fourth quarter, some nice third quarter momentum, but uh, too little too late. Exactly. It was too little too late. You can't afford to have a terrible quarter like the second. You know, if you lose a quarter by five or eight points, you know, that's acceptable. But what were they scored? Outscored 37 to 18. You know, the Hornets have no business scoring 37 points in a quarter. They're just not that talented of an offensive team. Yeah, they have Kemba Walker. But they were just getting so many easy shots. The Nets did not have the physicality defensively. They're getting killed by screens, not trying to fight over them or force the refs to make a call. If they're setting moving screens, they're not going to call it unless you fight through the screen. But Jack, Let's go over things that were terrible tonight. Like just overall, you know, it could be a player or it could be a specific thing, transition defense, team defense, whatever you want to see. Give me five things that were terrible tonight. Five things that were terrible tonight. Um, this is going to sound a sacrilege coming from me, um, but Joe Harris um, oh, was... God, is this real life? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, he was really, really bad. I'm, I'm actually going to be tweeting out two positive things um, after the game and once the play-by-play is up because... I noticed two really good defensive possessions from him, but those are literally the only two good things he did tonight. Um, and a lot of that was the fact that Charlotte's defense was top-notch on him. They, I think, I, I didn't see the Wizards game, but out of the team since the All-Star break, I think they were the best to guard him. And putting a guy like Nicholas Batum on him, 
who, yes, he's had his um, up and down moments since signing that massive contract, but he has proven himself to be a very good wing defender and to garner the respect to have him on Joe Harris, you know, it showed. Um, and, you know, he led the team in, in, the, in a plus minus in terms of the negative aspect at minus 26, but um, he still did rebound the ball. He still had a couple of hustle energy plays, but it just didn't seem like he fitted there. It wasn't his night. And there were times where Alan Crabb was just a more effective player just out, of, out there in terms of um, the fit and everything. So um, Joe Harris would be my first one. Uh, I think the the bigs, you know, Cody Zeller and Frank Kaminsky um, against Ed Davis and Jared Allen. Our, our bigs were just outplayed tonight. Two rebounds for Jared Allen. That's just not enough. Terrible. And, and I think that's, that's putting it bluntly. Uh, I'm trying to think of some others. There's so many off the top of my head. Uh, our three-point shooting wasn't great. Um, our ability to draw fouls wasn't great. Our ability to defend in transition wasn't great. Is that five? Yeah, that was. I think our team defense Good. was terrible too. Like, I think uh, overall helping. Like, you want to force a team like this. Yeah, they were shooting a good percentage from three, but they're not one of the top three-point shooting teams in the league. And they have guys on their team that can't shoot threes necessarily, like a Tony Parker or something like that. You know, they were getting shots inside the paint. They weren't even mid-range shots that the Nets are okay with. It was like teardrops right in the paint, right in front of the rim. And that's just an easy shot for an NBA player, anybody who's been playing basketball for more than 10 years. So I think just overall on that, I thought fighting over screens wasn't good. I thought the officiating was pretty bad. And I don't like to really complain about that, but it also goes, and we've talked about this before, if one team's playing hard and with a lot of physicality, they're going to get the calls. If one team's playing soft, like the Nets were tonight, and that's been an issue for them in the past few seasons, they're not going to get the calls. So I just thought overall physicality from the Nets was pretty bad. You know, the weird thing is they started this game like ideally. They had good energy, good pace. They forced a couple turnovers. They had five field goals, five assists. And then from that point on, it was just not bad. Like the first quarter wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. And then the second quarter was just terrible. Yeah, the second quarter was one of the worst quarters of this season. Um, and D'Angelo Russell, despite having you know 22 points, was highly inefficient. And um, I still think that it wasn't, uh, by most people's standards, decent game, by his lofty standards that he has set uh, since the All-Star break and heading into the All-Star break, it was a poor game from him. Um, I think offensively, he was forcing shots a little bit too much. His passing was okay. Uh, a few times he forced the issue a little bit, but I think that was a lot of the players as well. Um, they just couldn't find any rhythm. And I think uh, Charlotte uh, really ramped up their defensive intensity and the Nets really couldn't counter that. Despite shooting, you know, both teams shooting above 50% from the field, uh, it's actually quite a surprise. But um, we weren't, we somehow, despite being the first half down, like, I think we had two or four free throws, something like that. And we somehow win the game in that sort of department. Um, I, I think that second quarter, it, it just proved how important it was that you can't switch off for any amount of time, no matter what team it is. And I mentioned before when we talked about this Hornets matchup where we got the win, we are in a similar vein as this Charlotte Hornets team. It's us, it's Detroit, it's Miami Heat, it's Orlando Magic. We're not above that run. I don't... I. I I, I, it bewilders me to hear p people say, oh, yeah, the Nets are going to like, you know, they'll have an easy matchup against the Pacers or whatever. We haven't proven anything yet. We haven't even made the playoffs yet. We haven't shown up a sixth seed yet. Um, I know people in the past have criticized us for being too much of homers 
But um, you're getting plenty of criticism now, okay? <laughs> Maybe more than you want. And I agree. I think, you know, they had that great stretch, you know, from December, December 7th until where Dinwiddie got hurt. You know, they were great. And I pointed out the stat. The stat. They were 18-5. and five. But since then, they haven't been great. They're not necessarily playing with the same energy and toughness and that Brooklyn grit that we're so used to. Yeah, it's been in a couple games. But these last two performances, they're just not playing as hard as they can. And I think some of it, you know, not to defend them, is a little bit of chemistry, the lineup combination seem off and we'll kind of talk about adjustments a little bit further down the line but just it's just not fully in sync the rhythm isn't there and one thing you brought up the adjustments like the nets need to adjust a little better a little bit better in game you know the the hornets play guys that are terrible defenders you know you're looking at a frank kaminsky you're looking at a tony parker you know kemba's not a great defender if he's guarding somebody like karis lavert who's six seven and it can work him in down low so I think the Nets need to do a better job at sometimes, like you mentioned, D'Lo forcing shots. And that's not just D'Lo. That's just some of the Nets in general. If they have a mismatch, they need to attack it. And I'm not saying play like the Rockets and force a mismatch every series, but you need to force the other team to adjust and take that player off the floor or force them to help. And that would help a guy like Joe Harris, who we talked about. Batum was able to stick with him or Lamb, whoever they had on him, stick to him like glue because they didn't need to force help because the Nets weren't playing to the favorable matchups. Do you think Coach Kenny was too late in his adjustments, sending in Rodeons and Ronde, yes. or was yeah? I think um, you know as much hate as Ronde gets, and people, uh, someone was saying, I vouch for Ronde. I don't vouch for Ronde. I think one thing you can appreciate from Ronde is he plays hard. He might be a little bit out of control, and you you don't want to play Ronde, fine, but play Rodeons because at least he has a skill set. He has athleticism. Point out a stat during the game. You know, the Nets rebound percentage is 5.8% up when he's on the court. And that's just the length he brings. And that starting lineup with Trevion Graham, I know I said we get to lineups later, but might as well just jump in right now. They're just not big enough. They're, they had a couple good defensive possessions. And then the Hornets got the offensive rebound and ended up scoring on the next, you know, a few seconds. Yeah, I think that it was a little bit too late to sort of head to those sort of lineups. Um, I mean, too little, too late. It seems to be, you know, a, a sort of key for, for some of these guys. But I understand from Coach Kenny's point of view, wanting to write it out somewhat. But he did write out the sort of starters and everyone too much. Our bench didn't have the, the required energy. And I, as, as Jay in our comment section said, no defense. The three wasn't falling. No energy. Echoing our sentiments uh, completely. Yeah, I think energy is just was bad. Like you can't, you have to be a physical team, especially you're, this is pretty much a playoff game. You know, obviously it's not do or die right now, but this tiebreaker would have been huge. And the Hornets obviously knew that. And the Nets didn't. They played like a team that was inexperienced. And the Hornets played like a team that's been in a playoff position before. We literally, Nick, outscored them in the first, outscored them in the third, outscored them in the fourth. We played three of four quarters tonight and we still lost the game. That shows how important that 12-minute stretch was where it was like 25 to 8 or something. Yeah, I think it was 25 to 3. It's it's ridiculous how, like, I don't understand. It definitely goes on both parties, from the, the coaching staff to the players. The players, and it, I think a part of me, in terms of the defensive side, I'm not sure. I, haven't, I obviously didn't see the Wizards game, but has the zone just gone out of fashion right now? Uh, one problem I'll say with the zone, I think the zone teams are adjusting. You know, obviously they're doing their homework on the nets. You need to get a little bit more creative. You can't run just a two, three zone. You got to throw a couple different zones at them if you're going to do that. And also I think it's lack of chemistry. You know, we're mentioning all these guys coming back. It's great. You know, the team's fully healthy first time since uh, 2017, but these guys haven't played together. The communication isn't there. You see way too many times in the zone. One play sticks out in particular. 
Rodion's and Spencer were both at the top of the key in the uh, two-three zone, and Batum was just right in the middle of both of them. No communication to get over and knocks down a three. And that's just the kind of shots they were getting. The Hornets were just getting so many open shots. You know, no matter if it's the shots the Nets want or not, you're going to hit open shots if you're an NBA player on a consistent basis. Especially, like I said, they're not an amazing offensive team, but they still have some pretty good offensive players. Yeah, it's it's actually quite surprising because I was looking up during the game or at halftime, whatever it was, our defensive rating over this poor stretch where we've been four and eight, I believe now it is after tonight's loss. Our defensive rating is 14th since that sort of end of January, which was surprising as hell to me. Um, and I think that's one thing where you look to the analytics and the stats and you just go, you throw that out the window. That's just not right. Um, obviously, we're not a top half defensive team in that stretch. We are not playing good defensive basketball. Um, obviously, you know, defensive rating takes into uh, per 100 possessions. And the Nets play a bit big of a pace and, and the teams have played along that way might be uh, similar. But the Nets aren't playing good defense. And I think, yes, you can look to the, the adjustments in terms of the new guys coming back. But I thought Spencer Dinwiddie, out of him, D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert, I thought he played the best out of the, the three ball handlers tonight. Yeah, I thought Spencer looked fine. I, I was actually pretty confident going into the game for Spencer. Like we said, it was a thumb injury. He could still run around, stay conditioned. He was probably putting in work in different ways off the court. I thought he looked fine. You know, I love the way he drives to the rim. He knocked down a three-point shot. I thought Karras was pretty good, too. Actually, a lot better than he was against Washington, especially getting going early. It's just like finding the right combination of these guys that work. And sometimes it's like, all right, I'm going to give him the possession because he just took the last shot where it's like, all right, we just need to play to whoever's hot or whoever has the mismatch. Yeah, I think the first quarter, the, the first sort of eight minutes where we had like eight assists on nine main field goals, that's the sort of blueprint you want to play for. Just wherever the shot is falling, if it's Damari Carroll, if it's Joe Harris, whoever it is, just play basketball, get the ball movement, drive and kick, and just do the things that we do well. I think it, it's, it's, it's easy to get down now, um, but remaining sort of diplomatic about it. We have a game against Miami. Hopefully we can show some signs there get the win, fingers and toes crossed, and then build some momentum going forward and what's going to be a, a, a little bit of a tougher stretch heading into you know mid to late March. So you put this one behind you, you take the things that you did poorly, especially defensively, uh, look at them on film on, on the plane ride and then make the adjustment because I think these guys, uh, and, and you know they'll be as upset if not more than us. These are competitors. These are guys that want to do well. Um, it's just that they find that, missing link whatever it is that's sort of as you as you and plenty of others and, and kenny put it nick that yeah it's just jack i have a question for you do you think jared dudley's presence is missed at all on the floor you know obviously he's not a huge player but he does have a positive impact in ways that don't show up in the stat sheet yeah um i, I think that it could in, in terms of tonight if you chucked him out there instead of a, a ronda you probably would have gotten a similar result um, so I think in terms of maybe leadership and such, I, I don't think he adds that much in terms of, you know, overall, but you could have a point, Nick, but I think in terms of we're grasping at straws to an extent because we have 14 out of 15 guys healthy and we're going, okay, is Jared Dudley the missing link and why we lost by 11 points and had a horrible second quarter? No, he could have added a little bit of something, but I think Damari Carroll provides that in spades already, but, um, Checking to the comments before we move on, um, uh, SSV says that Graham doesn't do enough, Rody needs more minutes, and Karis disappears for stretches too much. What are your thoughts on those three comments from him? 
Uh, I honestly am starting to kind of get behind the Graham, maybe not starting thing. I think Rodion's might need to start with Amari just because they're better rebounders. Yeah, Trevion brings a physicality, but if you have K- Karis LeVert out there, he kind of can be that defender you need. You know what I mean? They're putting Trevion on like DeMar DeRozan or James Harden. Yeah, he's doing a good job, but Karis LeVert was at that probably same level in the beginning of the season. He's getting back to that. So if you're starting LeVert, I don't think there's a need to start Trevion Graham, especially because LeVert's three ball isn't falling yet. So I think whoever you play at the four needs to have a little bit more of a consistent shot. And Trevion Graham at times is just not being defended by the other team. Like they just don't have to give him any attention. I actually liked Karis LeVert's three ball tonight. Um, It looked better than Washington. I know you didn't watch Washington, but... It looked a lot at, better. <laughs> at, yeah, at least three of the four, sh- three of the four shots. In terms of the games that I've seen him play, the shot looked the most natural, looked to have the most arc on it. So that's a minus on. He hit one late in junk time as well. So two out of four from there. Um, I, I agree. I think Graham should be substituted, um, and I think you put in. But Damari's just been so good with the second unit. So I, I would put in Rodion. So I, I agree. And even if it's just for, you know, he gets Trevion Graham's, you know, 10 requisite minutes to start the first quarter. And then you you mix and match according to whatever Rodion's is doing. And, you know, Trevion Graham with Damari Kell. Damari Kell's also a shooter as well. So I would agree. Uh, I would start one of those two, preferably Rodion's. Uh, I'm with you on that one. Um, and heading to, in terms of Karras, I agree in in a sense, but I guess it's still finding his way. We need to yes. maintain patient him uh, and I get the frustration we've had plenty of it after tonight's performance but Karras was by no means uh, the sort of key indicator in that and um, Rudy does definitely need more minutes um, how many did he have tonight looking at the box score 17 and some of them kind of came and I guess I don't know if I'd call it junk but when the Nets were down 13 with like three minutes left they have increased so I would say he needs to be getting 15 plus for the next 10 games or whatever it might be. Um, if he's not, um, then Coach Kenny is making a mistake. But um, our boy Jay uh, has jumped in again. Do you think, Nick, obviously we know the power forward. He's mentioned the power forward. But he he mentions uh, he wished that we picked up a shooting, uh, a shooter of some sort. Do you think an extra shooter on this Nets lineup right now would add uh, a heap of value? I don't think that's necessarily the biggest problem. Yeah, where shooters help, shooters always help. You'll ask Golden State, they'll tell you they'll still want to add a shooter right now just because, you know, it's basketball, you're shooting it. But right now the problem is defense and just overall just the chemistry and things not working. And just to touch on the Karis point real quick to get back to that, I feel like you're right, Jack. I think we need to cut him some slack. Like we said this on the NBA outlet, his foot was hanging from his leg. It's not like it was a minor injury where he just sprained his ankle and he was out three weeks. You know what I mean? He needs to get a better feel. Also think some of it's on like the coaching staff and his teammates to kind of uh, get him the ball more and be like, yo, Karis, you're working these guys. He was 6 of 11, getting the paint with ease, had a couple of bad calls called on him. I think they need to kind of push him to attack more like they did in the beginning of the season. I know it's been D'Angelo's team, but if he has a mismatch, like I said, like Kemba Walker can't guard Karis LeVert. Like, he's quicker than him, but he can't deal with him physically. And Karras can get inside. We know him with the spin move. We saw the Nets working early when he was hitting Jared Allen with a pass. But getting back to the the four position, yeah, I think obviously a shooter would always help. But I don't think that's the end-all, break-all. Like, I think the defense is bad. Like, you can't let up the Hornets score 120-plus. Are you sure Frank Kaminsky isn't the answer, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm being told that he is the answer. And, I mean – we know a couple of Hornets guys pretty well, Evan Dial and Dylan Jackson, and they've pretty much hated Frank Kaminsky since his rookie season. Like, he's not a great NBA player. Maybe he was in the net system for a year and had some player development, but in my opinion, he can play the five. He can't play the stretch four. He's 0% quick. 
like there was one play that stuck out where he did a he was defending a pick and roll between D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen and Jared Allen probably had one of the easiest dunks of his career because Frank Kaminsky was trailing like three steps behind him yeah anyone who wears Barstool sports shoes on any occasion and promotes that horrible horrific he has a podcast for them POS brand um yeah you can you stick to your lane Frank you ain't coming into Brooklyn you don't deserve to wear that black and white that's for sure but um Nick uh Unruly Star brings up the fact that the the defense and, and the center position that we've sort of touched on um it's a, tonight's performance was not the best from our center position and there were plenty of times uh, in that stretch where we went to, to Ronda at the five where we looked at our best um Jared Allen and Ed Davis need to step up heading to Miami yeah they do they need to play it better. You know, uh, Miami's going to have an array of different centers they can throw at you from Whiteside, Olenek to Bam. They all provide something a little different. And, you know, that's why I also think you need Rodion's in there is for his length. Like, if Jared Allen is going to help, you know, we have guys defensively that get beat off the ball. Like, D'Angelo's not an amazing on-ball defender. Like, he'll get beat. Jared will have to come over and help, or a guy will get caught in a pick and roll. Like, the next guy to step up is, what, 6'5", Trevion Graham? I know, like, a lot of guys are bringing up how he's small, and I think that really does have an impact because there's no one to kind of rotate over. And you want Jared Allen to be this elite shot, uh, shot blocker, he needs to have some backup. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, I'm a guy who is tremendously in on Bam Adebayo. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think Jared Allen, he's going to need to have his wits about him uh, in, in that one. You know, get really physical, get really engaged, lay some blocks, lay some hard screens because I think there's too many times that Jared Allen does the sort of slip screen where he he sort of runs away from it. He, he He's great at dashing towards the basket, but I want him to sort of do, do the Ed Davis a little bit more where he hangs on the screen gives the guard or the ball handler a little bit more space. Um, but I think that those are a little nitpicky things from me that um, I, I mean, I want from my center. Um, but there are, uh, I think one minor glass half full thing. And I think the the guys in the, in the yes network touched on it, Nick, no player played more than 28 minutes tonight. So it bodes well for whoever is, is getting those minutes against Miami that um, there's no excuse about energy levels. Yeah, and I think that's more reason why they should play harder. Like, they have no, they have, you know, backups. They're not going to play a ton of minutes to make those minutes count. And I think in the physicality perspective from Jared Allen and in general for the Nets team, and I'm not saying to be a dirty team or fight, but there was a couple probably cheap shots I would call from Charlotte. Like, a couple fouls or plays where I felt like they were either unnecessary or just, like, not the right thing. I like to see the Nets get a little angry once in a while. I'm not saying to throw punches or anything, but just let them know, like, yo, that's not cool. Like, I just feel like the Nets are going back to being a little bit soft. Yeah, and I think that that is going to stop once Spencer starts getting the calls again because Spencer has that personality and gravitas where he can chip a little bit. And I know you mentioned when we were chatting in the DMs throughout the game that Coach Kenny to get a tee. I think that that outburst is going to happen soon enough when it's required, obviously. not. I think tonight it was probably required in the first half. The second half, I felt like the refs were okay. But there was a, when you mentioned it, there were the free throws were like 13 to 2, and the Nets drove to the lane just as much as Charlotte did. And like there was just calls that weren't getting called, and it was just questionable. Yeah. And, and I think Damari was quite demonstrative at times as well. Lucky probably not to get a tee. Um, but that, that's obviously beside the point. It's not the reason why, uh, what could have provided us the necessary motivation to get the win. But um, I am, we have been hard on, on him, but I'm going to give plenty of kudos for, to Rondé Hollis-Jefferson tonight. Um, we've, we've done enough negatives and we can continue with them, but I thought Rondé was great. Plus 11 in 15 minutes, three of three from the field, 
four rebounds, three assists, only the one turnover. I thought he was great. Him and Rodion's were absolutely sensational. That put-back dunk gave me life. Yeah, uh, but it, it gave was the next life. <laughs> It did, but it, uh, it was soon taken away by our defense. I think Rondé at his best is when the Nets play, you know, we're switching one through five. Like, if they're going to do that, that's when Rondé's going to play. And if the Nets do make the playoffs, that's be something they'll probably have to look to do because you see a lot more switching in the playoffs. You're not going to want to get up possessions. You know, the mid-range shot, I know the Nets are okay with it, but sometimes in the playoffs you might not have, be able to do that, especially if a guy like Kemba were to get hot or one of these guards like Kyrie Irving or something like that. So I, I thought Rondé was okay. You know, the one thing that just always really sticks out from Rondé is just those out-of-control plays where he got the charge called him on Frank. It was close. But I think it's just like something that goes with his reputation of being out of control where he can just kind of calm down. There was like three Hornets back. Just hold the ball. You know, we could have made a good run there. And it's just like uh, it's a tough turnover. Yeah, I think that was the only one, only only play of the night. So it was why I gave him the, the credit. Yeah, I would say it. overall it's been better than what we've seen in the past. And in terms of that, he played better than Trivion Graham tonight. So I mm. think we've spoken about in, in the past, you know, you know, the fact that um, Rondé has been usurped in the rotation and sort of that 10-man rotation was the, the ideal one. Um, he's going to have a role. And if Trevion Graham can't find that three ball, then Rondé has probably better pick and roll chemistry. Yes, he can be a bit flaily and, and, and such and, and a bit erratic, but... There'll be times where he has a, a role to play. You know, he was only three minutes away from, you know, uh, beating Trevion Graham in terms of minutes played. So um, I think there's going to be plenty of games where he'll have a role. Uh, Jared Dudley, like you mentioned, he'll he'll eventually see some time. And, you know, he'll, it'll be nice to see him do his old man thing out there, provide a little bit of intelligence and that sort of thing. So uh, the guys are healthy now. It's up to Coach Kenny and the guys um, that are out there to just be able to execute on both ends of the floor. Jack, your coach Kenny next game. What's your ten man rotation, including starting lineup and the five you're playing off the bench? All right, so starting lineup, uh, I keep the same. Uh, instead, I substitute uh, Rodion's for Trevion Graham. Uh, the four off, the five off the bench. Uh, I'd have Davis. I'd have Damari. You have Spencer. I have Alan Crab. I think you still keep Trevion Graham because of his d defense, but um, I, I could easily see someone else usurping him in that sort of thing, be it a Rondé because he played so so well by relative standards tonight. Um, so I think that that's probably about it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot Carlos Levert as well. Yeah, I completely forgot Carlos Levert. Well, you said keep the starting lineup, so he was in the starting lineup. So yeah, yeah. my bad, yeah. Um, I think the bench, I agree. I think you put Trevion on the bench and you let him and Rondé fight it. Maybe you let Dudley get in there too because I think um, they can afford to maybe have a guy who can't shoot the three in the bench unit because Carroll's been shooting well from three. Alan Crabb, obviously. Dinwiddie kind of stretches the floor a little bit more. And Ed Davis will keep people occupied with his screens. So I wouldn't mind seeing it. I don't know. I wouldn't probably bench Trevion right away, but I might move him to the second unit and be like, all right, you need to prove yourself and get some of the hustle plays. I saw this on Twitter too, and this was a good point. The Nets need to get on the floor more for the loose balls, and that's something we've seen a lot in the past. But these last two games, there's been a lot of loose balls where the other team gets down and the Nets are just trying to pick at it. Yeah, I think you can argue for the fact that, you know, a guy like Carol Savert, it's, yeah. it's okay <laughs> if he sort of takes his time a little bit because, you know, we've seen some great hustle plays from him in the past. But guys like Trevion Graham, guys like Spencer Dimmer, guys like D'Angelo Russell, guys like Rondo Hollis-Jefferson, uh, guys like Jared Allen, no matter who it is, they need to be showing that energy because those are the sort of players that lift you. And Damari Carroll has done that plenty. That's uh, a name that I didn't mention because he has done it and he has lifted uh, a, that 
I can't remember what game it was, but he definitely has done it and it's stuck out in my mind because it's helped us with momentum. And it's a, there's a game-changing sort of place. You know, when Rodion's got dragged to the ground by the big oaf in Cody Zeller, um, it was sort of just an energy thing. And because Rodion's was just physical and it, and it gave it that, that little bit of edge. Um, so, yeah, I'm, it's sort of like we're harking back to the days where Rodion's wasn't getting any minutes at all, despite the fact that he earned them. So it'll be interesting to see how Coach Kenny adjusts after tonight's showing from, you know, literally five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Is it 13 players? Thir- no, uh, 12 players. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. And, like, I wouldn't be even opposed if he wanted to play a nine-man rotation and cut somebody else out. I really don't care. Whatever works and you find is a chemistry. I think right now some of it is just their lineup combinations aren't exactly ideal, and they'll kind of get used to that and kind of used to playing. Adding a player back like Harris LeVert and Spencer Dooney, both within the matter of weeks, puts a little pressure on the team to kind of find that rhythm, especially with the way D'Angelo is playing. But uh, I would say – I'm not too happy about those two losses, but I'm not super concerned. If they lose to Miami, then my concern level will start to raise to another level. I think it's how they play against Miami for me, Nick. If they continue to show real defensive lapses, um, the three ball, or the quality of shots isn't great um, and the energy isn't good, then you start to worry. And you know, despite the fact that you know 538, all the projections have us in the playoffs, I'll continue to repeat, and that's why I am the pessimist of the two, we're not in the playoffs yet. It's going to be a hard-fought race. You know, you've mentioned on the outlet with Corey and others plenty of times. Orlando has a very easy run. The Nets, on the other hand, do not. Detroit has been playing out of the the sort of four teams that are, are vying for that race. Andre Drummond has been sensational. Blake Griffin has been great all season. Reggie Jackson is back to his best. They have been playing better basketball than we have in this stretch. That's not to say that our stretch, when we were uh, bounced back from that losing streak, we didn't play better than them overall. But right now, in terms of the momentum heading into the postseason and solidifying your spot in the playoffs, we're probably third or fourth in that sort of run. You know, Miami beat Golden State the other day, but they've, they've obviously been very up and down. So the Nets need to get back to some winning form or at the very least playing some winning style of basketball. Yeah, I think uh, you don't really care about necessarily losses. It's the way you lose these games. Like Washington, losing to a team like Washington, when you just get outplayed and outhustled, you know, they're a talented team, but they literally just beat the Nets in transition that game. They just outran them to the floor, to the points they need to go, and they put themselves in a great position. Tonight, they just got outplayed defensively from a physical standpoint. And Miami, like you said, you know, I'd be upset about a loss. My concern would go up, but if they get blown out, it'll be at another level. If they lose by a buzzer beater, like some crazy lucky Dwayne Wade, banker three that's going to win a game then you know i'm i'm not going to get too crazy over it but i think one thing like that i want to see is just the nets they have three really good guards you know they have dinwiddie they have delo they have lavert all guys that can kind of win a mismatch i think every possession they need to find a way to get a good shot or some type of like way to get in the paint you know every it's not going to be perfect but they have too many good players to have terrible offensive possessions too like we didn't talk 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 on the offense, but that's I know we keep going back to the second quarter, but the offense was terrible in the second quarter. It was. It, it was both. It was just a, a calamity of errors on both ends of the floor in that second quarter. You can't probably speak lowly enough about it. But Nick, what you were talking about relates a little bit to the question from SSV. What can be done to get my boy Joey more open looks? Was it the defense tonight? Does it was it Joe not working hard enough off the screens? Were there not enough screens for him? Um, because we know. The play that he sort of loves is the sort of back screen from Joe Harris or Ed Davis, which gets him that completely open look on that sort of elbow range from the arc. Didn't see a lot of that from him tonight. Yeah, I think uh, adjustments from the coaching staff. Like teams are playing him differently. We touched on it before post uh, 
all-star break, you know, before he won the three-point contest, the defense has taken another level. It's also somewhat on the players. Like, if you see somebody really attacking Joe, force them into a situation where they have to decide to either help and you're going to get a good shot at the rim or they're going to give Joe an open three. And, you know, you play to that advantage. Maybe Joe doesn't get a ton of shots, but your team's getting open layups. I think the Nets need to have a better feel of what's going on in the court and the players they're playing with. And sometimes it's just like they're playing basketball instead of realizing who they're playing with and the adjustments the other team is making. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think we did that for for very small chunks tonight where we just played and we got to the rim at will. We weren't hitting the three ball, but then there was a period where we really were. And then that just tremendously dropped off and we were forcing shots and such. So I think it's just being able to, to know what the defense is giving you and to be able to react accordingly. Um, and I think Joe exactly. Harris is- That's pretty much what I think is like the exact echo for the offense from this game, in my opinion. And the best teams in the league do that, you know, and, and because they have the talent to do so, they have the chemistry to do so, you know, you can just give the ball in, in a guy's hands. You know, I think, you know, we just put the ball in Spencer Dillon's hands a heap of times tonight. He was getting to the rim at will. There was probably only one or two possessions where it's like, oh, he probably shouldn't have forced that one. But for the most part, he was just back to his normal self. There was no no missteps from him in terms of his recovery. So um, there are positive signs to take from what was a, a pretty poor and uh, I could say some other curse words that I've, uh, I've cursed already uh, on a live show. So I'm not going to do that again. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's okay to be upset. And, like, they didn't play great. But, like you said, we're, we're there's good things to take away. There was some positives. Like I said, I was pretty happy with some of the takes Karras had to the rim tonight. I didn't think he looked 100% back to himself. But the one play that really stuck out, I want to say, was either against Zeller or Marvin Williams. He drove in the paint. You know, they were about to block the shot, hit him with a pump fake, and then he just got that easy layup. And that's something we saw him do a lot in the first 14 games of the season. Yeah, and um, for me, my favorite one was the wraparound pass that it was the, the signature play of last season for him and, and Jared Allen, where he he drew the defenders, was patient, was patient, was patient, and then just goes, bang, here you go, uh, big boy, have the dunk. Um, exactly. That, that, for me, was a highlight. So we need more of those plays. Hopefully, we get them against Miami, Nick. Uh, any other thoughts? No, I think I'm good. I'm just, you know, overall, the most important thing other than the adjustments is just the team playing hard and like playing with crazy energy for the entire game, both Washington and the game against Hornets tonight. You know, they played good for like the first four minutes and then they just died off. Yep. And we're going to need a four quarter performance sooner rather than later. Exactly. But uh, that wraps up for me. All good on your end, Jack. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you check us out. iTunes, Black Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, That's Republic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.